You know, I have to admit that uh, this morning seems a little bit like a reunion because there's just been a number of people that have made it, that haven't been able to for sickness or various things going on in their lives. And so uh, this has been a real treat to see uh, a number of people that uh, I haven't seen in a while. And two of those people especially are Pastor Craig and his wife, Kim. Yeah. Back from sabbatical, you can kind of see the glow kind of over there. And uh, I tell you what, it's good to see his face because he's been missed. So uh, looking forward to uh, co-laboring with you some more, brother. The title of this morning's message is Never Forget. Uh, this morning our focus will be on Psalm 103, which is credited by most scholars to have been written by David. Charles Spurgeon in his commentary on the Psalms notes, Psalm 103, doubtless, is by David. It is in his own style, when at his best we should attribute it to his later years, when he had a higher sense of the preciousness of pardon, and because he had a keener sense of sin than in his younger days. His clear sense of frailty of life indicates his weaker years, as also does the very fullness of his praiseful attitude. It appears at the time in David's life that Psalm 103 was written is unique, and that it's not during a time of struggle, hurt, or pain. Uh, where he's addressing that before God. It's not a time when enemies were closing in, nor an urgent time of crisis where he is crying out for God to intervene. It's not a time of grievous sin where he's confessing and crying out for God to cleanse and purify his heart. There's no present need he's asking God to meet in his life through the psalm. Psalm 103 is a psalm that is all out worship, praise, and thanksgiving. G. Campbell Morgan writes, it is perhaps the most perfect song of praise to be found in the Bible. Through the centuries, it has been sung by glad hearts, and today is as fresh and full of beauty as ever before. Psalm 103 is a psalm of worship where David exhorts us to never forget the greatness of God's character, nor his goodness as demonstrated through his benefits. Almost every psalm has something in it that points to Jesus, something that reveals the gospel, God's story of redemption, and Psalm 103 may be the most deeply packed gospel psalm of all. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103. And as you turn there, I want you to think of the most breathtaking scenery that you've ever seen. Are you picturing something? What were your emotions as you gazed upon its beauty? For me, it was while my wife and I were on a short-term mission trip to Romania and arriving in the capital city of Bucharest after a two-and-a-half-hour-long drive to our mission point in the city of Slobozia. After already being weary from a long flight, we found ourselves riding in two old transportation vans without air conditioning in the heat of summer. We were hot, tired, and a bit cranky. As we approached the city on both sides of the thoroughfare, as far as the eye could see, we could see fields of sunflowers in full bloom. I mean, these sunflowers were probably three feet high. And in the sky were two brilliant rainbows that served as an arch going into the city. All we could help but feel in that moment is it was God indicating that he went before us to prepare the mission field and that he would be with us throughout the entire week. God revealed himself to us through his creation, inspired us and lifted our faith with anticipation on what he was going to do. It's something I'll never forget. I believe it's forever etched on my mind and heart, but I have to wonder 
For the people who live there year-round or who live near the ocean and daily witness the sunrise and sunset over it, or who live in view of the Rockies or the Smokies, is it easy to take for granted the beauty and majesty of what is witnessed day in and day out? Lisa and I, while on vacation, we, we love being on the beach. We love sitting and resting on the sand near the ocean, looking out over the water, feeling the breeze, listening to the waves crashing in. But I remember thinking one day as I watched the residents go through life there, going to work, raising and feeding their kids, doing their chores, struggling with finances, issues and problems that come up like the rest of us. I wondered if they ever look up and stop in wonder and amazement at the majesty and beauty of what surrounds them every single day. When I read Psalm 103, I have to wonder, is that how I am with God? Maybe you wonder that sometimes too. You think, at one point, God was so beautiful and inspiring to me. I I adored him. I worshiped him with everything, but then life happened. And it all just seemed to get so mundane, so ordinary, so part of the routine. Can you relate to that? You just got busy working nine to five, raising the kids, running them to school and activities. Maybe something difficult came crashing in. Cancer happened or... Your marriage failed, or there was a miscarriage or infertility. Someone close passed away. Maybe it was that dream or life purpose that died or failed. And suddenly you were no longer in awe of the beauty of God, or in awe of his presence in your life, or amazed at his benefits. All of it just became old news. Things you still knew, things you could still recite concerning God's character and blessings, but stuff that no longer stirred your heart. How can we fight against losing a sense of awe at the beauty and wonder of God? How can we daily look at God and be astonished and amazed as we once looked at the fields of sunflowers or a double rainbow or a sunset over the ocean or a majestic mountain range? I believe in our psalm today, David has something to share with us about just that. So go ahead, in your Bibles of Psalm 103, we're going to read the entire psalm. And David writes, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He reveals his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him, and his righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. 
Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, um, what a marvelous psalm. There's so much packed there of your greatness and your goodness, uh, the benefits that extend to us through your son Jesus and the salvation that he's earned for us. Lord, open our hearts, open our minds this morning to once again have our hearts stirred in such a way as if we're looking at a beautiful scene in your creation, but instead looking at your beauty, your majesty, your awesome love, your grace and your mercy that extends to us each and every day of our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you notice that the words that David repeated, he repeated several times? Often repetition, when you see it in the scriptures, as if the writer is shouting out to you, pay attention, take note of this, this is important, take this to heart. He uses the word bless, as in to bless the Lord, six times, twice in the beginning, four times at the end. He uses the phrase faithful love along six times, along with the word compassion three, as describing God. And more than any other word, he uses the name Lord 11 times. That word Lord in the Hebrew is uh, translated Yahweh, which is the covenant name of God, the eternal self-existent one, the sovereign ruler over all. This should indicate to us who the focus of this psalm is really on. It, it's not on us. It's not primarily about us. It's about God, who he is, and what he is like. David's trying to get us to focus heavenward on the greatness and goodness of God in such a way that it will awaken our hearts, our very souls to worship, to bless the Lord with all that is within us. David uses several words in this psalm to describe the character and nature of God. And the first thing is he begins his description of God with the word holy. And let's never forget that God is holy. In the very first verse, my soul bless the Lord and all that is within me bless his holy name. It's no surprise to me that David begins his description of God with the word holy. If you remember, there were two men in particular who were given heavenly visions of the throne room of God, and this is what they saw and heard. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6.3 says, And the angels around his throne were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the Apostle John, through his heavenly vision, in Revelation 4.8, says, Day and night, the four living creatures around God's throne never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. These living creatures in the very throne room of God, basking in the fullness of his glory, cannot help but declare that God is holy, so much that they are compelled to repeat it over and over and over again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Remember, repetition in the scriptures means that this is important to know. Be sure to take notice of this. And since the Bible is God's word, we can see that he desires to be known by his creatures as holy. In the church age, an age of grace where we love to focus on other attributes like God's love, his forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, we can kind of tend to toss holiness to the side. What does it mean for God to be holy? 
Well, it means that he's set apart, that he is moral perfection, that he is absolute light. In him, there is no darkness at all. There is no sin. He cannot sin nor tempt others to sin. He's absolute purity. Never will he morally compromise. And since he is unchanging, he is and always will be holy. Because he is holy, sin cannot reside within him, nor can it enter his perfect heaven. Because God is holy, he has a holy hatred of sin. God takes sin seriously. Sin is a huge deal to him. Sin must be judged. It must be punished. As we will see, it is absolutely incredible that he chose to punish another in our place. Someone else took the punishment that we deserve for sin, and that's where we're going to see God's holiness meets his love and his mercy and his grace. It's so important that we never forget about the holiness of God and the price that needed to be paid for sin so that we'd always believe that our sin is a big deal. Our sin costs Jesus everything. The horror of the cross of Christ reminds us that our sin is a big deal. In his holy nature, God could not allow sin to go unpunished. If holy was all we knew about God, then we'd all probably cower in fear and never draw near to him. But in Psalm 103, David also uses these words to describe God. God is forgiving, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, a compassionate father and ruler over all. Most of these attributes of God, we love to focus on, don't we? But let's start bringing them all together with his holiness so that we can grow to know him more fully as he is. His holiness is a vital thing to knowing him as is his love and his grace and his mercy. If you toss aside his holiness... What you come up with is a distorted image of God. And we're going to see that it is out of his unchanging character and nature that he acts on behalf of his people. Let's move on in the psalm. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. My soul bless the Lord and all that is within me bless his holy name. My soul bless the Lord and do not forget his benefits. Have you ever had a good conversation with yourself? Your spouse probably catches you talking to yourself all the time. He or she probably thinks you've gone crazy while you know deep down in your heart that there's no one else in the house you can have an intelligent conversation with. <laughs> so you talk to yourself. Right? David's talking to himself here and he's telling himself, he's reminding himself to praise God with his soul, the essence of who he is, involving all that he is, engaging his mind, his intellect and his reason, his heart, feelings, emotions and will, the words from his mouth, the attitudes of heart, the actions of his body. You see, worship is a mental, emotional and physical thing all woven together. When a person worship, worships God, they are to be fully engaged in blessing the Lord. This is what Paul meant when he wrote to the Romans, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The word bless is interesting because we're not asking God to bless us, which we're prone to do. More times than not, we come to God with our laundry list of ways we want him to bless us or other people in our lives. 
But to bless God means in the Hebrew, that word means to kneel. It means to bow to his lordship, to surrender all. It's in line with the word fear, which means to revere, adore, and honor. I like to believe that when we worship God through our emotions, our feelings, our intellect, our reason, and our will, our obedience, we please the Lord. We can actually put a smile of pleasure on his face. Isn't that kind of awesome to think of? The blessed of the Lord comes from a life that is full of faith, of trust, and dependence on him. For in Hebrews eleven six says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That leads us to our next portion of the psalm, where we are not to forget all of his benefits. After David tells himself twice to bless the Lord, he exalts himself to not forget all of God's benefits and then proceeds to list them. Let's uh, read verses 3 through 5. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. So remember in the beginning, I encouraged you to look for repetitive words in the psalm. Well, there are 10 instances where David uses the word all in Psalm 103. If it's used as an adverb, it's used for (coughs) emphasis. If it's used as a noun, it speaks to the whole of one's energy, interest, or devotion, as in, all that is within me, bless his holy name. If it's used as a pronoun, it's used to refer to the whole or entire quantity, the full extent of a group, every part of a place or surface. Do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. Executes righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels. Bless the Lord, all his armies. Bless the Lord, all his works. Bless the Lord, all the places where he rules. Over and over, David is using that one word And in that word, we're to find importance. And when it says all, it it kind of means nothing's missing. So first of all, concerning his benefits, I want you to notice that the benefits David lists are not natural, temporal, or worldly, but eternal, and all are received through the gospel. And first he says, God forgives all your iniquity. This had to be monumental in David's understanding of God. He knew everything about David, every detail David would have preferred to keep hidden. And if you remember, David committed adultery and murder. And God witnessed each action firsthand. And yet David rejoiced in the forgiveness of God. These are huge, scandalous sins. And yet David was set free from guilt and shame of it all. Too many people walk this planet believing that they are out of reach of God's forgiveness. (coughs) That the things they've done are beyond repair with God. So they live a life of guilt and shame and regret as they try to keep their distance from God. God isn't calling you to perpetually remember nor focus on the ugliness of your sin. So that you always feel weighed down, so that you're constantly beating yourself over it. No, 
He wants you to remember so that you never forget the beauty, glory, and majesty of God's grace and mercy and love that is so central to his heart for you that by faith in him covers all of your sins. His shed blood covers all of your sins. His forgiveness covers all of your sins. The reality of it is your sins do deserve to be punished by a holy God. But God in his love sent Jesus to take the punishment you deserve in his place. It's by placing your faith in him that God forgives you and cleanses you of your sin. Through Jesus, the forgiveness of God covers all your iniquities, past, present, and future. Never forget or lose sight of the depth and gravity of your own sin while never forgetting how much you've been forgiven by God's grace and never forget who it was who earned that forgiveness for you. The next benefit that David mentions is that he heals all your diseases. And and this can't only mean physical healing in this life on earth because first, we all are in the process of dying. Secondly, each of us has an ailment or malady or illness or disease we're dealing with. Probably the majority of the people could stand up and say, yeah, I'm dealing with this. And the other person, yep, I'm dealing with that. I see four types of physical healing. Um, So let's dissect this for a moment so that we can see where it leads us. The first healing I see from God is natural healing. In God's creative genius, he made the human body with natural antibodies and cells that fight against bacteria and virus and disease. He's also given the body the ability to heal itself from cuts and sprains and skin irritations and infections. The second kind of healing I see is medicinal healing. God has given human beings the ability to attain greater understanding on how the body functions, which can be done medicinally, surgically, and technologically to bring healing. These advancements are a gift from God. And obviously, human beings can go overboard and misuse it or misdiagnose. But when the lifespan in the wild, wild west in the 19th century, I'm guessing maybe was around 38 years old. Today in the United States, in the 21st century, it's climbed up to around 78. That's 40 years difference. And a lot of that is because of the advancements of medicine. Third aspect of God's healing is supernatural. But God breaks through in the natural order of things to give healing to an individual in such a way that is beyond natural or scientific means. Often through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, someone experiences healing much to the amazement of those in their lives around and unto the glory of God. But not nearly everyone who is prayed for is healed, are they? That leads us to the fourth aspect of healing, and that is eternal healing. This occurs when a believer in Christ departs from this life into the next. They are completely set free from the consequences of the curse, the fall, the consequences of sin, where in body, spirit, and mind they are completely and fully healed, never to be subject yet again to decay, disease, or death. It's in this moment where God's promise to heal all your diseases is realized. But a glorious promise that comes as part of your salvation. Let's move on in the psalm to Psalm in verses 4 and 5. And David writes, He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The third benefit that David wants us to never forget is that God has redeemed your life from the pit. The word redeemed here is a market term that simply means to buy back. 
And God purchased you back for himself at a very costly price to his son. That is how valuable he sees you. That is how much he wants you for himself. And if you notice in the Christian Standard Bible, which we're using, the word pit is capitalized. Which tells us that the writer is speaking of a specific place that can be identified as a pit. I believe David is speaking of hell, that place that the Bible says was created for the devil and his angels. I know many people would prefer it not to be true, so they tell others that there's no such thing as hell. But Jesus spoke on the subject of hell more than anything else. I believe he did so out of his great love for you and me because he wanted to warn us not to end up in that place. If hell is not real and Jesus is a false teacher, he is not God and should not believe or be followed. Hell is a place, according to the scriptures, where people in this life who reject Christ, who decide they want nothing to do with Jesus in this life, get what they want for all eternity. Hell is not a place where all the wild people go to continue on in eternity of their wild party lifestyle. Hell is a place, according to the Bible, of complete and utter aloneness where God's goodness and love is forever absent. A place without joy, without peace, without love, absent of all that is good and pure, right, and just. But when someone places their faith in Christ, surrendering their life to him, heaven is a real place for them. And the Bible explains that it's going to be like this. God will live with them. They will be his people and he will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more grief, crying, or pain because the previous things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. Believer in Christ, this is what you have to look forward to. Never forget, if you've been redeemed by Christ, your benefit is twofold. You have been saved from the pit of hell, and that is a huge thing. And just as huge is you've been saved to the glories of heaven. And that is an awesome thing to think about. The fourth benefit that David speaks of is he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. And the picture David gives of the people of God being crowned, it's amazing to me. In every fairy tale or story, when you see a king or king, queen being honored, it's a royal celebration. Even when you could never earn or deserve royalty because of Christ, he treats you like you are royalty, like you deserve it. I love the phrase David used here, faithful love as describing God, and he uses it four times. And once again, if, if it's being used four times in the scripture, that's a pretty big emphasis in this psalm. He wants you to know, God wants you to know, my love is faithful. You know, I recently officiated a wedding for Ken and Michelle Strickland, uh, his sons Dan, who is now married to his beautiful wife, Laura. And while they created their own vows, as I prepared for the wedding ceremony, it kind of led me back to think of the traditional wedding vows that so many couples use. I take thee, Lisa, as my wife to heaven to hold, for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish until death do us part. 
You know, you don't realize it on your wedding day, but the words of those vows are the reality of what you live. There are times that are better and some that are worse. There are times when financially it seems like smooth sailing and sometimes when you're scraping to get by. There's times you're super healthy and times when serious sickness invades your lives. And to love one another means there's a stick to itness to each other through good times and bad. You remain faithful to each other. You choose to love, honor, and cherish each other regardless of your circumstances. That's how God is with us. For him to declare he has a faithful love for you means it is a love that is unbreakable, that you are inseparable, that it is everlasting, that it is unconditional. It's never based on your performance. It always remains. It's always lavished with generosity and sacrifice. It's intimate and personal. God is always there through your ups and downs, the ins and outs, the highs and lows. He will never leave you or forsake you. There's nothing in all creation can ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And every moment of every day, he crowns you with his faithful love. It can never be lost. It can be never taken away. He will never stop pursuing you with his love. What an incredible love God has for his children. For every person that is in Christ Jesus. This is another benefit of your salvation in Christ. Never forget just how much he loves you. And if you ever doubt it, remember the cross. The fifth benefit that David writes about is he satisfies you with good things. You know, and if you were here last week, you'd remember that I said our definition of good is often different from the Lord's. Our definition is derived from what we see, feel, taste, touch, and experience in this life on earth. A planet that is cursed and racked by sin and evil and that is under the influence of the God of this age, the devil. So our perception of good when weighed against the devil's bad is always going to be off kilter from God's definition. In Romans 8.28, when Paul states that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, we forget that he identifies his purpose in the following verse, which it says to make you more like Jesus. That is the ultimate good. And he says, all things that happen in your life, the good and the bad, everything he uses because he wants to make you more like Jesus. Often we don't see the good because what he's working in our lives is not what we ask for or desire or anticipate or expect. You know, it's kind of as if we know better than him. And especially when the good he's working is through a trial or a great disappointment, a loss or a failure. The greater good in our limited perception is not to have experienced that. God, the greater good was that I would never have to experience that loss or that failure or that disappointment or that sickness. We always can only see in part. He always sees fully. His good is always going to be in line with how he sees our lives fitting into his grand story of redemption. By nature, We're people who long for the good old days. 
Those times we felt most alive in God, as if with God there can only be one season of good old days. Those days of our past were meant to prepare us for what he has in store for us today, for our new adventure, for new passions, for new experience with him at our side. Are you wasting today as you long for yesterday? What a waste of the gift of life God has blessed you with. Listen, never forget the good old days, but remember, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There's something that he has for you today and the next and the next that has only to do with the old days because the old days were used to actually prepare you for what he has today, the new adventure that he's taking you on. Let's read on in verses 6 through 8. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. So David has just reviewed the five benefits that because of Christ are permanently ours through our salvation in him. Not only do we choose to remember God's goodness by looking at present benefits, but we always see that in never forgetting what he's done in the past. David here is remembering how God revealed himself to Moses. When Moses prayed to God on behalf of Israel, he didn't ask God to do anything for Israel, except that Israel would be able to see all that God has done and is doing in their lives. It's at this point in Exodus 34, 6, and 7 that God proclaims himself to Moses. The Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. This is the very first instance in the Bible where God personally reveals who he is and what he's like. And all the rest of the scripture builds on this. David here is going to the scriptures and actually quoting Exodus. Why did David bring the attention here? He wants his readers to know that if God was faithful to his people then, he will be faithful to his people now. Past grace is evidence of future grace. His faithful love is no different for you and me. If he has proven himself as your provider in the past, he will provide for you in the future. God's love and care for you never ceases. Let's move on and read verses 9 to 13. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He's not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on all those who fear him. This is huge. Has the fact that God has done this for you, does it still blow you away? Never forget God's forgiveness and his amazing grace and love. David here gives us two illustrations that depict infinity. And he's answering the question, how high does God's love go? As high as the heavens are above the earth. Scientists say that light is, travels 186,000 miles per second. And they say that to reach the end of the known universe, it would take 225 trillion years. 
And David's using that as an example to tell us that God's love is infinite. It can't be measured. Then he answers the question, how far does God's forgiveness go? He says, as far as the east is from the west. If you traveled to the North Pole, you would have traveled as far north as you could. The only direction you could do is either plant your flag there or head in the opposite direction south. But if you were at the equator and traveled east and you never turned around, you would be heading east for the rest of your life. This is the extent of God's forgiveness of you. It is unlimited. Jesus took our sin away and received what we deserve, judgment, condemnation, and wrath. God gives us in return what Jesus deserved, righteousness, honor, and glory. Because Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, we could not live and died a death that we deserved as punishment for our sin. Through our faith in him, God's full wrath for our sin has been satisfied through the cross of Christ. He holds no anger or unforgiveness towards you. He will never hold a grudge, never hold anything against you, or hold it over your head. Every sin, past, present, and future, has been pardoned by God, all because of Jesus. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And what is being said there is that with Jesus... God's wrath is forever satisfied. For the person who rejects Jesus, his wrath for your sin still remains on you. Let's move on in the psalm. 13 through 16. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanished, and its place is no longer known. You see, God was a father before the world was ever created. For the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit lived in perfect community and harmony and love in eternity past. Human fathers are meant to be a reflection of God the Father, leading their children to a right concept of God. The problem is that our sin and our fallenness gets in the way. When a father is not so good, that image can also be transferred to God the Father. And that child ends up with a distorted image of God. They see God as they see this father who is maybe distant or aloof, harsh or critical or abusive, indifferent or uncaring or who abandoned them. Often the way your human father treated you is how you believe God will treat you. And distorted images of God, they're always lies straight from the devil. They can only be dispelled with truth, the truth of God's word. Scripture declares over and over again that God the Father always has a tender and compassionate heart that is always open, sensitive, and caring about you and about what's happening in your life. Then David reveals that God knows how we are made. God, our designer, knows how we work and function. God, our Father, who is all-wise and all-knowing, he knows us personally. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly. And when David says he knows that we are just dust, that we come from dust and we return to dust, he's telling us 
that God intimately knows our weaknesses, our frailties, our struggle, and every bit of our sin. Nothing surprises him or throws him for a loop. And yet with full knowledge of us, he is and always will be our loving and compassionate father. Never abandon, never disown, never reject. There are three times in Psalm 103 where David uses the term fear for, for God, fear God. And I don't want you to be confused by this. At first glance, what David is saying appears to be conditional, that if a believer rightly fears God, then God benefits and his promises will be realized. But if they don't fear God, then they won't. But the word fear for God here means to honor, respect, and hold in reverence and all. Ultimately, it means to worship him. David's not suggesting this condition must be met to receive God's benefits. He's suggesting that all who truly believe and follow God will have a heart disposition of worship towards him. Verse 17 and 19. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness towards the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kindness rules over all. From eternity past through eternity future, God's love for you always remains the same. It never diminishes depending on your walking close with him today or your drifting tomorrow. His love for you will last for all eternity. And as we pass on our faith in God's love and righteousness to the next generations, God will shine his favor on them, revealing to them his wondrous salvation. We have come to know God as the sovereign ruler over all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But isn't it comforting to know that what David says, that he rules over everything with his kindness. Let's go ahead and close and let's look at the last three verses. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord in all his works, in all places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. David began the psalm by talking to himself that he must bless the Lord. And he ends the psalm, if now as if he's shouting to the ends of the earth, to all who can hear, bless the Lord. In it, he's attempting to cover everything. All who are in heaven, bless the Lord. All creatures of the earth, bless the Lord. May the Lord be blessed in all his works, past, present, and future, and in all places throughout the earth, heavens, and the entire universe. May all who created things in all places throughout the universe, bless the Lord. Give him the glory, honor, and praise, and reverence in all that he is due. Bless the Lord. There's so much of what we have read here in Psalm 103 that if you think about it, it points us right back to the gospel. It reminds me of the glorious words Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. And Jesus being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? Amen. 
Psalm 103 points us to him, points us to Jesus. What a marvelous Savior we have. Chris, why don't you come on up? Let me ask you, has your knowledge of God and his benefits become mundane and kind of routine? What have you learned about the character and nature of God this morning that could change that? What have you been reminded of about who God is that has become fresh and thrilling again? What have you been reminded of concerning his benefits that has once again stirred your heart with a flicker of passion? Choose every day from this day forth to determine that you will never forget or take for granted the greatness and goodness of God and that you will never forget all of his benefits. Go to him daily in a posture of worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Trust him with all of your life. Surrender all to the wonder of a God who has proven over and over that he loves you with an everlasting love, a love that is always faithful to the very end. (coughs) Be spiritually awakened this week as you pursue daily a renewed desire to bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name and forget not all his benefits. Why don't you spend some time in reflection right now in praise and thanksgiving. Talk these things over to God. And, and maybe if you can admit before him that your faith has been mundane and routine and you've gone through the motions, maybe there's something that happened in your life that now if you're blaming God for and it's like you've just kind of tossed in the towel and you're going through the motions. Whatever it is, be awakened to the truths of the psalm this morning. Bring that to God, confess it, and allow him to renew your heart with the wonders of who he is and the many blessings that he's given you. Go ahead and spend some time in reflection now.
because we want to stand in the marvel of you for willingly come to earth and rescue mission for us, for taking our human flesh, for putting aside your glory in heaven, that you might be the way for us to return back to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your shed blood. And Lord, I confess that there are days that I I don't remember those things. There are days where I don't think about your greatness and your goodness and all the benefits that I have in you, Jesus. I shudder to think of the man that I would be without you, Jesus. Move in our hearts through your spirit. Allow that little ember that might still be in our heart to be fanned to a bright flame once again. Help us not to live off of things of the past and experiences that we've had and knowledge that we've gained, but Lord, help us to realize that today's a new day and each day is a new day. And each day that we have the opportunity to be on an adventure with you, that there's new things that you want to do, new things that you want to show us you want to fill our hearts and minds with the truth of, of who you are and all that you've done for us, that it, it would be, become a, a flame, that we would want to bless you each and every day, that we would want to go to our knees and worship, that we would be so awestruck about the wonders of the glories of, of the greatness of our God that would never become old news. pray for a deeper love in our hearts for you.